When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, before we begin, I wanted to let you know, if you don't know already, that I do have a Patreon and I have memberships open up on the channel. So if you want to get videos a day in advance, you can support me over here on YouTube by becoming a member, or you can support me over on Patreon by becoming a patron, of course. It's a dollar a month or $5 if you want to support a little bit more, but of course it's up to you. Thank you to everyone who is a sponsor or a patron. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You guys and gals really, really help me out in some of the harder months. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, if you want to get videos and things early, you can do either one of those things. I'll shut up now and we can get right into the stories. I should have known when the squad car pulled into the rundown police station that something wasn't quite right. The building looked old and abandoned. The police insignia lay crooked in a bed of tall grass. The letters P.O. were missing from the display of the main doors, leaving only lice in their wake, and graffiti littered the outer walls. If not for the two other vehicles at the very back of the lot, I would have thought we'd pulled into the wrong place. The squad cars were in as pitiful a shape as the station. Their emblem and motto, to serve and protect, were faded with age and coated with dirt. Their tires were deflated, and one of their taillights had shattered. Yeah, warning bells should have gone off in my head, but if you can't trust the police, who can you trust? I attributed to the building's poor condition to budget cuts. Since they could not go on strike, officers frequently and openly protested the city's cheap financial support by wearing mismatched socks and all sorts of inappropriate pants, ranging from army print to clown stripes. Two officers escorted me inside. If the main lobby was any indication, then the interior was as poorly maintained as the exterior. I waited by the reception desk on an old schoolhouse chair. Its green and cracked back did not match the colors of the other two next to it. While the officers traded a few words with the women behind the desk, I couldn't help but notice how very much alike they were. It wasn't just in uniform, either. The three were the same height, had the same hair color and style, carried themselves in the same posture, and shared the same build. Excuse me, I interrupted, walking over to the trio. One of the officers who brought me in turned toward me. What? he asked. I motioned to a chip mug full of pens. Can I have one? Yeah, sure, he replied, his tone barely registering emotion. I pocketed the pen happily and took a seat once more. If I was going to be stuck in here all evening, at least I'd get a souvenir. The three continued to talk while I waited in the humid lobby. Couldn't they at least open a window to get a breeze rolling? The air was so thick and it tasted so bitter that I could barely breathe. 
Once the officers sorted everything out, they led me down a dirty corridor. Dried leaves and litter the ground, crunching under my feet as I walked. Surely they could find a room in the budget for a janitor. As we moved through the station, I began to notice more and more issues. Missing doors, broken windows, and even a hole in the roof. Frankly, I half expected to see a family of raccoons scurrying about. There also seemed to be a surprisingly small roster of officers on the duty in the station. It seemed we passed the same two guys almost everywhere we went. In here, said one of the uniformed men, motioning to a set of doors. We'll come get you when it's time. I nodded and stepped through the double doors. The smell on the other side was even worse than in the lobby. It was a mix of sweats and the unique odor of slightly burnt skin after a few hours under the sun. Unsurprisingly, the room was full of men with very similar features to my own. Aside from one old man in the corner, we also looked about the same age. Guess we're all here for the lineup, huh? I asked in an attempt to break the ice. The others averted their gazes. The situation wasn't ideal, but I saw no reason to be sour about it. It was our civic duty, and being grumpy wouldn't change a thing. We'd all been cherry-picked to act as distractors in a police lineup. I hadn't been particularly thrilled when the police officer stopped me on my way home from work, telling me that I matched the description of a violent mugger, but I calmed down once they reassured me that I was not the suspect, merely a decoy. I was missing the same season finale of my favorite show for this, but at least I was doing something useful for society. The old man's head rose slowly. Son, you won't be leaving any time soon, he warned. When I saw his face, I nearly gasped. He was old, yes, but his facial features were remarkably similar to my own. We had the same green eyes, curved nose, and similar cheekbones. If we were to walk around town together, people would surely assume he was my dad. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not in a rush, I answered cheerfully. My gaze shifted from the old man to the others in the room. We all shared a remarkable likeness. Whoever the victim was, you'd have a hell of a hard time identifying the attacker. No one stood out. Even I would have trouble telling us apart. I thought the others would be as amused as I was, but they all kept to themselves. Unable to find a conversational partner, I took a seat so I could wait for the officer to return. The silence started making me nervous, as though everyone knew a secret I wasn't privy to. Every now and again, I caught them glancing at me from the corner of their eyes. It was unnerving. Silence. It was so quiet, they could hear the hum of the neon lights all the way down the hall. They played in peculiar unison, like the instruments in a Beethoven orchestra. The door creaked open. The others cringed and recoiled as an officer stepped inside. I honestly couldn't tell if it was one of the two that had driven me in or a different officer altogether. It was only when I saw him next to the other men in the room that I realized something. He too could pass as one of us. The eyes... The cheekbones. He looked like me. Like us. 
my skin crawled at the eerie realization that everyone I'd seen in the past hour or so looked just like me. How had I not noticed it sooner? I tried to shake the unsettling feeling away with a forced shiver, but I was only half successful. The officer lifted his hand, his index finger pointing to six of us. You, you there, you two, you and you by the wall, he commanded. I got up and walked over while the other five gasped and groaned. They reluctantly approached, though I did not understand their gloomy reactions. Part of me felt the same way. Still, the quicker we went through the lineup, the quicker we'd get to go home. I, for one, was glad I'd been chosen to be a part of Group 1. The officer handed out numbered boards. My board, number 5, looked ancient. Its corners were rounded with wear, coffee stains coated the surface, and yellowing tape kept portions of it in place. The others took their boards with as much enthusiasm as a kid handed a plate full of steamed broccoli. I'd never seen grown men quite manage the childlike look of disgust and accompanying pout until that day. Once we received our numbers, we were brought to a suffocatingly narrow room with doors on both ends. I could hear the door locking behind us, which made me wonder if the mugger was in the room with me. Fortunately, I was at a police station. If there was one place a violent mugger wouldn't try anything stupid, it'd be in the middle of a police station. The black wall was decorated in faded height lines like those seen in mug shots. They made me realize that, strangely enough, we were all the exact same height, right down to the half inch. In front of us was a large glass pane, through which we could see a pair of identical-looking police officers sitting on stools watching us. That's odd, I remember thinking. Don't they usually use double-sided mirrors? Not me. Not me. Not me, murmured number three, his voice quivering with fear. He wasn't the only one acting strangely. Number one and number four were huddled in the corner facing away from the window. Number two and number six were fidgeting and whispering between breaths. Grow up, I thought. Why were they all so nervous? Was I missing something obvious? Could we get in trouble if we were mistakenly identified? The victim walked into the room on the other side of the glass. Even though he held his head low, I couldn't help but notice the similarities. He had my build and my haircut, though his body was covered in bruises and blood. I felt a chill run down the back of my neck, filling me with the same anxious dread as my fellow distractors. A feeling in my gut urged me to run away, yet I found myself paralyzed with unexplainable fear. This was silly. There was no reason to be afraid, or so I hoped. My nervousness increased with every step the victim took. He looked pretty banged up. There was no reason to think he hadn't been attacked by a mugger, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something else was going on. The victim's head turned upward. Oh God, I whispered. 
I was looking at myself. He wasn't just a crude look-alike like the others, no. He was definitely me. Even through the swollen lip and black eye, I recognized every square inch in my face, the placement of my freckles, my childhood scar along my hairline, my right eye, which was slightly smaller than the left. He had them all. I didn't have time to fully take on the phenomenon before the doppelganger lifted his arm, an accusatory finger outstretched. I knew before he even did it. I knew he was going to point to me. I knew, yet it didn't spare me the shock when he did it. It felt like being smacked in the face by a stray baseball. He pointed straight at me, an electrifying feeling surging through my body as he did so. If that wasn't bad enough, the others in the lineup suddenly calmed down. It looked like they just dodged a bullet which sent me into a panic. When I saw the police officers rise from their seats while looking at me, I knew I had to run. I bolted to the emergency exit, and the door was locked. I could hear the sound of a key jingling in the door on the other side of the room. There was no doubt in my mind that the officers were coming for me. With a fair dose of adrenaline fueling my actions, I grabbed a fire extinguisher and smashed it against the doorknob. It took three tries to get it, but it finally broke off allowing the door to swing open just as the cops came in from the other end. I could vaguely hear them shouting, though I could not make out a word of what they were saying over the combined sounds of my heartbeat and blood gushing into my head. I ran as fast as my feet allowed, feeling myself drowning in unexplainable fear. Lost. I was lost. Lost in the building, lost in fear, Lost in desperate and unshakable panic. An alarm went off, practically paralyzing me with a piercing shriek. More than ever, I wanted to escape the endless maze of run-down hallways and broken light fixtures. I could barely hear the officer's footsteps over the mechanical warning call, but my senses were just sharp enough that I could safely evade them. I ran for what felt like hours, but could have been minutes. I ran until my chest burned with exhaustion and my muscles cramped. I ran until I came across the waiting room where I'd been in earlier. Hoping to warn the others, I stepped inside. The room was empty, but for the old man in the back. Hey, I shouted. We've got to get out of here. He didn't answer. I walked closer and noticed something on his head my scar. That's impossible, I thought, gasping in shock. I placed a hand on his shoulder and tried to shake him, but he'd gone cold. His skin had become dry and pruny like a tomato left out in the sun for too long. I recoiled in terror, a loud scream escaping my lips. Suddenly I felt a pair of fingers digging into my shoulder with the strength of crocodile's jaws. Again, I shouted, desperately swatting at the captor's hand. By twisting my shoulder uncomfortably, I managed to break free from the vice-like grip and turn around, only to be confronted with my bruised doppelganger. A look of bitter contempt had found a permanent home on his face. I never realized how unsettling that look was when I gave it to others. 
My local light deliberately blocked the exit, ensuring that escape would not be easy. When he made a move toward me, I acted on instinct and felt my arm flying towards his face. The sound of broken glass erupted from him as my fist connected with his already damaged eye. Pain. Sharp, blinding pain. I stumbled to the side, holding my throbbing right eye. It thumped and prickled with a thousand needles. My vision became blurry, but not blurry enough to keep me from seeing the other me run towards me. I had to defend myself. I punched, elbowed, and jabbed at him. Few of my blows actually connected. I'm not exactly a martial arts expert, but the ones that did sent pain flooding into me. My frantic blitz came to an end when I went for his stomach. The pressure nearly took my breath away. There was no beating him. I had to run. I shoved him aside, fully expecting him to try and grab me. To my surprise, he fell to the floor and didn't try to get up. Had I hurt him more than I thought? My relief was short-lived, as soon as I stepped back out into the hallway, I ran into a pair of officers. Their expressions were strangely blank. A thought came to mind when I realized that I was covered in bruises. What if they thought I was the victim? He's in there. I said, mustering up every bit of calm that I could manage. The officers, without hesitating, ran into the waiting area. I didn't know how long my ruse would work, so I took off toward the entrance. When I reached the lobby, the receptionist from earlier stood up and turned to me. I only looked for a moment, but my eyes caught sight of a scar on her head. What the hell? There was no time to think or try to understand. She started chasing after me, so I ran out the doors as fast as I could. The air outside smelled so fresh, devoid of the stagnant aftertaste in that police station. It was dark out, and I remember feeling hopeful that I could blend into the night and escape. I heard stomping footsteps behind me, saw beams of light pointed at me, and I could hear sirens blaring in the distance. I recall running, but I confess I don't remember how I got home. I have no recollection of reaching my apartment complex, unlocking my door, or getting in bed. But I must have. I woke up this morning safe and sound in my bed, albeit quite sore. When I got up to brush my teeth, my reflection sent a shiver down my spine. My face was bruised and swollen. The wounds were identical to the ones I saw in the victim at the police station. The busted lip, the black eye, and the cut on his cheek. They were all the same. My heart raced wildly, blurry after images dancing in my head, running, police officers, my face, my face everywhere. As I leaned back, I felt something in my pocket. I reached for it and retrieved the pin I'd taken from the police station, inspecting it closely. The police motto was written on it, though half of it was scratched out. It read, To serve. My name is Brian Young, and before I tell this story, I just want to put it out there that I'm not a writer, and I'm not a bullshitter. That being said, 
I actually have some proof of everything that went down that day. I'm not here to spin a yarn about some demon from hell or a wendigo out in the woods that's fiending for a taste of human flesh. All I want to do is tell a story that I've kept to myself for a pretty long time, because, honestly, I've never assumed that a single person would believe what I have to say. And look, maybe coming to no sleep is counterintuitive to that goal. Maybe people call me out as another dude trying to pass off a slightly weird experience as something legitimately terrifying, but I promise you, I'm only here to tell you the facts of what I saw and why that night in Oregon has forever burned into my memory. Now, to help prove my case of being legit, I'm going to attach a link with some pretty clear video of what I saw in the daytime. I'll explain that too. But what was it that scared me? What really made me terrified of whatever fucked up thing is happening in the woods? Well, like most horror stories, this happened in the cold, dark night. And finally, yes, we were all sober during this adventure. Just thought I'd put that out there if there were any questions about an altered state of mind. Here's a bit of backstory. Me and two other guys, Jeremy and Jared, had gone up to Oregon to visit our high school friend Mason. This was right around Halloween, which happened to coincide with the week after my birth, so I thought to myself, why not hang out with some frat boys and have fun? We set out in the early hours of a Sunday morning, and upon arriving after what amounted to an eight and a half hour drive, we set up camp at one of the frat houses that Mason lived in, and together the four of us began to plan our week in southern Oregon. Seeing as Oregon is one of the most beautiful states in the Union, honestly, if you haven't been, you really should visit. The nature's incredible. Mason was eager to take myself, Jeremy, and Jared on a hike in order to become one with the green. Now, normally, I would have opposed to such an endeavor, seeing as I'm not the biggest fan of nature. Don't get me wrong, I love animals, and I think that nature should be preserved with you know climate change and all that. And I'd be lying if I said I don't enjoy going on hikes and the serenity of being outside, but at heart, I'm a suburban boy. I stay too long amongst the trees and I start to get annoyed at all the dirt and bugs and violent wild animals just waiting to eat you alive or infect you with some unknown disease. They have a way of making nature seem pretty damn unpleasant. Anyway, we all agree to go hiking a few days into the trip, and until then, we end up spending our days doing what college guys do, and party at the local frat. After a few days of various party activities, the time for our hike had arrived on a gloomy and slightly rainy Wednesday morning, we set out into the woods. Just a few days prior leaving for the trip, I'd listened to quite a few creepypastas about skinwalkers, and I was feeling particularly in the mood for discussing the potential monstrosities beyond our imagination living in the woods just beyond the tree line. I was waiting for some poor, unsuspecting meal to come walk along its trail. Which, looking back, almost foreshadowed what we'd come to see that day. As we trugged through the foggy and damp underbrush, I got the feeling that something was very off. As we hiked upwards, we came to a clearing and to see two girls staring off in the distance, seemingly looking at nothing. At first, I assumed they just really liked looking at trees and frogs. After exchanging looks of genuine confusion, we all start to look out and try to see what they're seeing. 
Eventually, after picking out absolutely nothing out of the ordinary, we realized they weren't looking for something. They were listening. Almost simultaneously, we all go silent and try to tune our ears to whatever had stopped the girls. Through the trees, we heard what seemed to be what I can only describe as a twisted mix between a person yelling and some kind of disturbing animal call. To this day, I still don't know how to accurately describe what the hell it sounded like, because I've never heard a person make a sound close to what that noise was. All of us were trying to locate the source of the sound, and eventually gave up after realizing how difficult that task is when you literally don't see anything. For the most part, it was just trees, fog, and more trees. Eventually, the four of us chalked it up to some birds or a dying animal out in the fog and continued on with our hike. We reached the top within an hour and hung out upon the summit for another 45 minutes with no strange happenings. Hell, at that point, I'm sure we'd all forgotten about whatever it was that we heard at the beginning of the hike. We then decided to head back and go back down to the house in order to plan out the rest of our day. As we're walking back, we came across the same clearing and started to hear that familiar noise. Everyone immediately recognized it as the same sound from earlier, except this time it was much more audible. At this time, I decided to pull out my phone and record the event for Snapchat. I at least wanted to play back the sound on camera so that I knew something was actually there for the sake of my own sanity. As I'm scanning the area trying to find the source of the sound, I see him. A man dancing in a black robe about a good 250 feet away from us, yelling into the forest and moving rhythmically in a disconcerting manner. Why the hell would any person go out into the cold and rain in the middle of a fucking forest just to yell? Why the black robe? Why the hell was he dancing? What made things even more confusing was that no one had any ideas as to how he got to where he was at. There was literally no trail to get to his location, and yet he was there, acting in a creepy manner, almost like he belonged there. Then out of nowhere, this guy goes silent and pulls his hoodie down to reveal a bald, gray head. And this is no exaggeration, his skin was pale gray. He then looked in our direction and slinked off into the trees out of sight like he'd never been there to begin with. We took that opportunity to look around at each other and just to reflect on our own sufficiently baffled expressions. We didn't know if it was a druggie or someone trying to prank us or some hermit that lived out in the forest, but one thing was for certain. None of us wanted to go back in those woods and find out those secrets anytime soon. As we headed back down the trail and loaded into the car, Jared made a comment with a stone-cold face that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. You know, when we were coming down, I turned around and I swear to God, I saw him behind me, waving goodbye. Update. Unfortunately, this time around, I don't have any videos of what we saw. This is because, other than the fact that our phones are surprisingly poor at recording in the pitch black, trying to navigate yourself through the forest in complete darkness while holding a phone in one hand and a flashlight in the other, Turns out to be pretty damn impractical. Plus, 
80% of the footage would have been our scared asses walking around in the dark like idiots. And the final 20% would have been our asses running and screaming in the dark like idiots. All of that being established, let me explain how exactly we got to that point. After getting back to the frat house and discussing the possibilities of what we saw with each other for the entire car ride, we decided it was best to move on with the rest of our day and not dwell on one strange experience. We've all been through a lot together in our years as far as we were concerned. This was just another strange experience to add to the collection. Something I haven't mentioned yet is that I'm a total horror junkie. Video games, creepypastas, movies, you name it. As such, given some time, I started to feel more and more like we missed out on an opportunity. How often was I going to come across some freak like that? What was that all about? I felt like I had to know. And I know this is the cliche, run you idiot moment in every horror movie where the main character has a golden opportunity to escape danger and fucks it up by doing something stupid. Or where they consciously run into the danger head first only to get slaughtered by whatever threat is waiting for them in the dark. So let me be the first to say that I, Brian Young, am an idiot. Now that we've got that cleared up, hopefully you'll judge me a little bit less on my next set of actions. Seeing as though this was an unsolved mystery, my desire to confront something truly exhilarating and legitimately creepy got the better of me, and I pestered my friends all day to make a trip back out to the woods in search of whatever it was that I saw. At first, they were resistant to the idea, as no one really wanted to hike another few miles in the cold and darkness for something that we'd likely never find. Given some pastoring, Jared, who currently holds the title of Group Risk Taker, on top of various other nicknames, started to warm up to the idea, and when it came to forming a little search party for that thing in the woods, until eventually, he was fully on board with continuing our little adventure. Mason and Jeremy were still skeptical of the idea, and preferred to do something a little less... Stupid, with the time that we had left. He had felt that one, fuck it, we didn't have anything better to do. And two, it was dangerous for the two of us to be out in the woods at night in an unfamiliar place, and it would be better for us if he was there, seeing as he'd hiked that trail many times and could guide us back if necessary. Jeremy, however, was far from convinced. He ranted about how dumb it was to do such a thing, and how it would likely end up being a gigantic waste of time and energy. But as the peer pressure got to him and he was faced with the realization that if something did go down, he couldn't live with the guilt if we all got hurt, so his presence might be necessary. He hopped on the bandwagon and before we knew it, we were driving back to the trail in search of the gray man. The ride there was uneasy, not in the sense that we felt we were driving to our collective deaths, but I think we all knew that if this went how we wanted it to go, then we were going to encounter something that we really had no business laying our eyes on. It was almost like we were tempting whatever the hell was there after being given the opportunity to leave. I think that ultimately we all thought there was a real chance we were going to see something that would stay with us forever. We still cracked a few jokes and tried to steal our nerves on the way there, doing our best not to wuss out in front of each other, but it would be a lie to say that none of us were feeling some kind of regret for being out there in the first place. Think being on that giant roller coaster and knowing that the higher you go up, the deeper you're going to fall. We arrive at the trailhead with some flashlights we had collected from the frat house, and we all kind of just stood there waiting for someone to take a step forward into the darkness. Seeing as I may have forced everyone there, I took that first leap back onto the trail. 
Our plan was to hike up and down the same path that we took originally to see if we could find anything. We eventually ended up going about one-half the way up the first trail and about one-fourth of a second trail we found. We'd also attempted to see if we could find out just how the gray man got to where he was on that side of the forest. Between where he was standing and where he was hiking, there was a pretty steep drop that would most likely lead to a lot of broken bones and blood if we attempted to cross it, so we decided it was best not to try and replicate what he may have done. After what felt like an eternity of searching for the gray man and sufficiently scaring ourselves shitless by convincing ourselves that the local wildlife rustling bushes and stepping on leaves was actually a wild cougar or a psycho eager to chop us up and leave us for dead, we decided to end our search and call it a night. At a certain point, it just seemed pointless to stay outside in the cold searching for a needle in a haystack. As we walked back down the trail, we all stopped cold when we heard what sounded like a man struggling to take in oxygen and trying very hard to take rapid, deep breaths. We looked around with our flashlights and we saw nothing, but we knew for a fact that the sound we were hearing was at least 20 feet from us. I can't speak for the other guys, but my heart sank when I realized the possibility of the gray man being within striking distance. We could see nothing at all, and it would only take a few quick strikes in the darkness for him to grab one of us and do something truly horrible. We kept searching for where the noise was coming from, and it seemed that as our search intensified, so did the sound. This is the moment where, in hindsight, I regret ever going back. I regret ever trying to find the truth because I didn't uncover anything that night except for the fact that there are some things I'm just not prepared for. In theory, maybe, but in practice you realize there's only so much you can take before you run screaming into the night. I flashed my light on a nearby tree, illuminating a gangly figure leaning against the bark. Unfortunately, I was the first one to see him in all his glory for a good five seconds. Obviously, my memory isn't perfect, but from what I do remember, he was very tall, at least 6'5", completely naked, his arms and legs were disturbingly long and unproportional to the rest of his body. His arms and hands, in particular, hung to his side with a peeling skin, what seemed to be broken fingers and long, jagged fingernails. He had very obvious knock knees with deep scratches in his legs. He had pale gray skin, scars, and bumps all over his body. I couldn't make much of his eyes because they were small and seemed more akin to wide, fatty slits than anything you'd actually see out of. He had a small, flat nose that looked to be broken, and his mouth hung agape, with only a few rotten teeth and a tongue that hung out and dropped past his chin. He was also completely bald. Again, only a five-second or so look, but from what I saw, he didn't have any hair on his torso. The second I saw him, I yelled out, Oh shit! And he responded by screaming at the top of his lungs, louder than I'd ever expect a human being to scream. It was the blood-curdling wail of a man that was in unbelievable pain and experiencing sorrow beyond human comprehension. He stumbled forward, giving chase, and the four of us took off like bullets leaving a gun's barrel. Seeing as we're four relatively fit and healthy boys, we were able to get a good amount of distance on him as he pursued us, clumsily running around and screaming the whole way down. We got into the car in record time and pulled off as soon as we were all inside. I looked behind us to see him stagger his way into the parking lot, stand there, and then wave goodbye one final time.
I'm not sure if I imagined this part or if it really happened, but staring back, I swear I saw him attempt a fucked up version of a cartwheel back into the damn trees, never to be seen again. Understandably, we didn't say much during the car ride back to the house, and we used the rest of the trip to have fun and do our best to forget what we saw. To this day, I still don't know who or what that was. I don't know what he would have done had he grabbed one of us. I've had some fucked up nightmares about the situation for a while now, and I can honestly say that I'm terrified of just what on earth is going on in those woods. And yet... There's still a small part of me that wants to know everything. I have a few theories about what it was that we saw, and sometimes I contemplate what exactly would have happened if we had to confront him. What if he tried to hurt us? Are there more like him? I don't have any plans to return to those woods anytime soon, but given time, who knows what could happen. This is a mystery, and it's one that I don't think we should keep in the dark forever. Maybe at some point I'll go back to the woods with people. Definitely not exploring that by myself. At least that's what the horror junkie in me is saying. The logical part of me wants to know that sometimes we just shouldn't be messing around with things that we aren't meant to see. Sometimes we need to leave the monstrosities of the world to their own devices before we end up putting ourselves in a situation that we regret for the rest of our lives. I sat, watching Brent sleep, knowing what a waste of time it was. I was coddling him, feeding into his delusions instead of doing the hard thing. The right thing. Telling him that yes, he needed help, but from a therapist or a hospital, not an old girlfriend. And whenever he thought I wasn't going to see some kind of strange event or monster at night. He lay snoring peacefully in the same bed he'd had back when I dated him three years ago. Most of his furniture and decorations were the same, actually, and it awoke a mix of disorienting nostalgia and discomfort from seeing familiar things in an unfamiliar apartment across the country from where they had been when I'd seen them last. Reflecting again on the last couple of days of hurried travel preparations, the flight out, the expense of it all, I found myself questioning again what I was doing there. When Brent had moved down to the West Coast for grad school, I was the one that had chosen to end things. I didn't want to move, and I didn't see us working well long distance. It was hard, but I'd made my peace with the decision a long time ago. And the truth was, while neither of us was dating anyone at the moment, I didn't feel any desire to get back together with Brent. We'd both grown up and moved on, and while we didn't talk often, we developed a comfortable long-distance friendship that had made his phone call two days earlier a bit of a surprise, but a welcome one. Hey, Cassidy. How are you doing? My initial automatic response of something like, Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? died in my throat as I realized how he sounded. I'd known from his voice that it was Brent, but I'd never heard him sound like that. He sounded defeated and exhausted, but more than that, he sounded scared. My first thought was that he'd been in an accident or gotten arrested for something terrible, though I couldn't imagine what that would be. Um, I'm okay, Brent. Are you okay? 
After a pause, not really, Cass. I, I've got some kind of problem. It's going to sound crazy. Maybe it is crazy, but I don't know who else to ask about it. My folks would just freak out and accuse me of being on drugs, which I'm not. And I can't talk to the people I know here about it. I, I know I don't have any right to ask, but you're the only one I can trust with this. Can you come out for a couple of days? My mind was racing. My gut instinct was to tell him no. I had work. It was too short notice. It might be weird and it was super expensive, but... I knew Brent. He was a good guy, an honest guy, and he didn't like asking for help unless he really needed it. Okay, yeah, but first, tell me what's going on. I think someone is invading. He's coming into my apartment uninvited at night. I've got camera footage of it, but I just want you to see it before I try to explain. See what you think. I know this all sounds very mysterious, but I swear I'm not on anything, and I don't think I'm crazy. He sighed. But also, I know the old saying about crazy people never thinking they're crazy, so that's why I want to talk to you. To show you. If you tell me I'm wrong, that I need help, then I'll trust that and get treatment. If I'm right, maybe you can help me figure out what to do about it. I felt my stomach twist uncertainly. Brent, do you think your apartment is haunted or something? Because I can already tell you that... No. No, I I, I, I don't think it's haunted. It's... Well, the video shows a person. I really need to show you the video, okay? I won't be able to explain everything well over the phone or the internet. It'll just make me sound crazy if I try, so... Will you come? Yeah. Yeah, I'll come. Brent had me picked up from the airport the next morning. He looked pale and tired, and he had a yellow bruising on one cheek, but other than that, he looked like his old self. We hugged and then drove to the restaurant closer to his apartment. He'd said he'd wanted me to be comfortable, so he was sticking to public places until I had a chance to make sure he wasn't some kind of lunatic. I don't think that. I patted his arm. Look, I know after what happened with your sister, you're afraid your parents will think you're um, some kind of junkie or, well, suicidal or something, but I know you're not, and they probably would too. You're not Deidre. She had a lot of problems for a long time, a lot of pain and a lot of substance abuse trying to stop it. You? (laughs) You're like the most normal, stable person I know. I grinned at him and he smiled back uncertainly. Yeah, I know. I think I know. But then this all started happening. He looked distant for a moment and then pulled himself back to me. The first thing was when the man punched me. He gestured to the bruise on his face as he began. I was coming out of Cutter's Grocery. It's a little weird place not far from my apartment when this dude comes up to me. At first I thought he was going to try and give me a flyer or maybe ask for directions, but then I saw that he looked angry. Not just angry, like really mad. 
Before I could really process what was happening, he'd gotten into my face and was yelling. It's you, isn't it? I recognize you. I started backing away, but he was right on me, and I wound up just being backed into a car's bumper. What? I, I don't know what you're talking about. You, you got the wrong guy. This only seemed to make him angrier. No, you son of a bitch. I know you. You're him. I was starting to get scared and mad myself, but I was trying to avoid a fight. I'll admit part of that was because the dude was like twice my size, but I still really thought he was just confused or maybe crazy, and I just wanted to get into my car and go. I don't know you, man. Where do you think you know me from? He grabbed the front of my t-shirt. From outside my fucking house? You were standing outside staring into my wife, my family, last week. Scared the shit out of them. She called me from work, but by the time I got home, you were gone. The man pulled me forward and then pushed me back against the car. But she took a picture of you. It was dark, but not where you were standing. I could see you well enough. I pushed him off of me, my bag spilling in the process, but I didn't care. My heart was hammering and I moved to the side so I wouldn't be pinned again. That wasn't me. I don't know you or your family and I wouldn't do that. It must have been someone that looked like me, man. Honest. He looked uncertain for a moment, so I added, Look, I'm sorry that happened, okay? If that guy comes back, you should call the cops. His fist flashed up out of nowhere and my vision went white. Clutching my face, I fell back against the next car over but kept my feet. I put my arm up to protect myself from another punch, but he didn't try for one. Instead, he started crying. They're gone, you fuck. My wife, my kids, they're fucking gone. Police said there was no sign of a struggle, no sign that they were taken against their will, but she wouldn't have left me. We had a good life, a good fucking life. His eyes burned with hatred through his tears. It was you, wasn't it? I could see he was preparing himself for another attack, and I held up my hands as I pulled out my phone. Wait, fucking wait, okay? I'm calling 911. If I'm the guy, then the police can catch me, right? But I'm telling you, I'm not the fucking guy. I don't know you or your fucking... I forced myself to take a breath and calm down as I wiped at my watering eye. I don't know your family, but I can tell you're upset. So let's get this settled, okay? Blinking, I punch 911 and show him my phone. See? Legit calling. Fifteen minutes later, a police cruiser showed up, though it felt more like an hour. The man was tense the whole time, as though he was ready to tackle me if I tried to run. I guess he was. When the cops arrived, they talked to both of us. I told them I wasn't wanting to press charges on the guy, but I did want this cleared up. And if I ever saw the guy again after that, I'd be calling them back to arrest him. They asked if I'd be willing to go back to the station to answer a few questions, and I agreed. The interview was a lot more casual and laid back than what you see on TV. The detective that talked to me said that the guy had been calling them constantly, even when they had already told them there was no sign that a crime had occurred. Poor guy just... Didn't want to hear that his wife had left him and taken the kids. But what about the picture? 
the detective had raised an eyebrow. Picture? I nodded. Yeah, the guy that punched me, he said his wife had taken a picture of someone that looked like me standing outside their house, looking in all creepy-like, just last week. The man chuckled and shook his head. Oh yeah, (laughs) we heard about that too. Except, wouldn't you know it, the wife took her phone with her when she skedaddled, and the alleged picture was on it. He smiled at me. Look, you seem like a nice, normal guy, and I'm sorry this happened to you, and honestly, if anyone has messed with that guy's family, I put my money on him. He puffed out a breath. But the reality is, people disappear every day. They have affairs, they steal money, or they just get sick of putting up with some kind of shit. It happens. So unless you've got something to confess, I don't know if this interview is going to amount to much. I shook my head. I... (laughs) No. But I can try and tell you where I was if I know when they left. Or when the guy was supposed to be outside the window. The detective nodded. That was my last question. He saw them last Thursday morning, and the man was supposedly standing in the yard at them late Tuesday nights. I think he said around 11 o'clock. I thought for a moment and shrugged. I mean, Tuesday night, I think I was at home. I would have went to bed early because I've been getting to work early the last two weeks. I'm in grad school and I work part-time, but lately I'm having to work early shifts because of some of my meetings with professors. And where do you work? Uh, The archives section of the university library. I'm working toward becoming one of those people that studies and restores old books and stuff. I laugh nervously. (laughs) Super nerdy, I know. He shook his head. No, that's good. My daughter's going for a degree in, uh, I think they call it information technology. I tell you the same thing I tell her. Nerdy's where the money is. He smiled. What about Thursday? I spent the morning at the library, then meetings and classes in the afternoon. Played softball that night with some buddies, and then went home, went to bed early again. The detectives asked me names of people he could contact if he needed to verify my whereabouts at any of those times, assuring me he wasn't going to actually call unless something else came up that made it necessary. I gave him the names, he showed me out, and then I went home. For a few days, nothing else strange happened. But then I noticed I was missing clothes. I still have a lot of the same clothes and stuff from when we were together, poor student and all, but... Even the newer stuff, I know what it is, where it should be, and I started noticing that I couldn't find a particular shirt or pair of pants. I'm used to misplacing a sock here or there, but nothing like this, and not with this pattern. Because it was never underwear or socks or shoes, just shirt and pants. And I started to realize I seemed to be missing an equal number of each. It may sound dumb, but it kind of freaked me out a bit. Maybe it was just because the deal with the guy attacking me, or maybe because I'd been tired and stressed lately, but I started to think someone was coming in and stealing my stuff. Maybe even trying to impersonate me or something, if what that guy said was true. So I borrowed a little security webcam from a friend at school and set it up in my bedroom. I don't think I really expected to find anything, but I figured it would help ease my mind at least. Get me out of... Well whatever mindset I was slipping into. The first three nights there was nothing, 
just me coming in and out, sleeping, watching TV. It kind of freaked me out at first to see the camera was watching me, but it was on a new account that I'd set up and only I could access. And after the first couple of days, I got used to it. I didn't even remember to check the fourth night's footage until I was about to go to sleep the next night. Brent looked visibly paler as he fiddled with his phone. I... Well, I saved a clip of what I'm talking about on my phone. You look at it. Tell me what you see. He handed me the phone and I saw it already had a video pulled up. Hitting play, I watched a five-minute night vision clip of Brent sleeping. He did jerk and twist some early on in the video, and that caused the sheets to pull down his shirt and ride up some. Maybe it looked a bit weird, but I figured it was just him having a nightmare. And aside from that, everything looked normal. I tried to hide my worry as I looked up at him. I... I mean, I saw you twisting around like you were dreaming, but that was it. Was there something else I missed? His eyes went wide. No, wait. He grabbed the phone back and played the video again, watching it while angling it where I could see it. At various points, he would say things like, Do you see anything there? Or, There, what about that? Every time, I would just sadly shake my head. I could tell he was getting more agitated, but his voice was even when he put the phone down. Okay. Well, that's not good. He was lost in thought, pulling at his lip in the way that he always had when he was nervous or upset. After a moment, he looked back to me. Look, I'm starting to think maybe I really am just crazy. What I see when I watch that video, it's... It's a lot different. And that's just one example. I frowned. What do you mean? He grimaced as he put his phone back in his pocket. I mean, I've been recording myself sleeping for three weeks, and every fourth night something happens. Or at least I think something happens. When I've watched the videos, I see things that, well... I could see the fear on his face that the memory imagined or not. The video I showed you was from the first time. And it's still the longest and clearest one I've got, so it's... If it's not really there... He shook his head slightly. But there's also the clothes. The clothes you've been missing? He nodded. His eyes lighting up again, if only a little. Yeah, I... I started keeping closer track of them, and every fourth day, I seem to have been missing a new pair of pants or shorts and a shirt. That matches. Well, it, it matches what I'm seeing on the video. I put my hand on his. Why don't you just tell me what you think the video show? His eyes narrowed and he pulled his hand away. Because I don't want to be humored or patronized. Not that I think you'd do that to me, but still, I need you to see it on your own or not. I have to know if it's real or if I'm crazy. But how? Other than the video, how? He gave a slight laugh. <laughs> I need you to watch me sleep. Because tonight is... the fourth night. Brent had armed me with a baseball bat before going to bed. 
He apologized again for me going through all this trouble and told me again how much it meant to him. That he realized it was likely he was just having some sort of breakdown and that I was the only person he was okay with being at the apartment during the fourth night. Because, he said sadly, it was probably all just in his head. He'd taken something to help him sleep, but it still took a while before he finally drifted off. And while I'd taken a nap earlier in the evening, I was feeling myself beginning to fade by midnight. It had been a hard, stressful couple of days, and Brent was moving around again. Watching from closer up and in person, with the bedside lamp on, I could see much more clearly than on video. Like before, his shirt writing up as the sheets drifted down, exposing his bare stomach. But it looked strange and artificial somehow. Like a ghost movie where unseen hands are moving things instead of them just sliding around because of Brent's own movements. I felt my heart beating faster and chided myself. I was tired and spooked, that was all. There was nothing. A pair of hands suddenly erupted silently and bloodlessly from Brent's stomach. His body jerked again and the hands were followed by arms and the top of a head. I stood up and started backing away. My mouth opened to scream. But no scream would come out. In fact, I couldn't hear any sound at all, not even the scraping of my shoes as I backpedaled into the corner. The head that freed itself from Brent's stomach was... It was identical to Brent himself. The second head's eyes glanced around, raking over me without seeming to notice or care. As the shoulders and elbows cleared the surface of Brent's rippling skin, the hands braced on the bed for leverage as the man continued to pull himself free of Brent's shuddering torso. The entire process probably took less than a minute, and in the end, a naked shape that looked just like Brent climbed off the bed and went to the nearby chest of drawers. Staring in horror at the man's back, I noted dimly that it was perfectly clean and dry. There was no sign of blood or other fluid. Similarly, Brent himself seemed unharmed, with no trace of what had just occurred showing on him or the bed he slept on. Looking back to the intruder, I saw he was pulling on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. I recognized the shirt as something I'd given Brett the last birthday we had together. I wanted to say something, but I was so terrified, and silence still pressed down on the room like a strange gravity of a black hole. I just needed to stay still, and hopefully he would just leave without looking at me. As though hearing my thought, the man turned toward me as he finished pulling on the shirt. He really was indistinguishable from Brent, except for his eyes. Where Brent's eyes were kind and intelligent, this thing's gaze was hard and horrible, with a yellow glimmer that came and went as it smiled at me. I felt myself shudder. Raising a finger to its lips briefly, its voice penetrated the unnatural stillness when it spoke. The sound was so harsh and guttural, like the first words of someone who'd survived a hanging, but I could still hear each syllable clearly. There is only one of us. It stared at me a moment longer and then turned toward the door. 
He began shaking uncontrollably, and it was several minutes after I heard it leave the apartment before I was able to stand up and wake up Brent. He was groggy at first, but he snapped awake when he saw how upset I was. I told him what had happened, and at first he looked oddly relieved. But as soon as I told him about the other thing, looking at me, speaking to me, his eyes darkened with concern. And that's all he said? All he did? I nodded. Yes, that's all it did. And then left. I was still shaking, but talking about it had helped. Do you know what it meant by, there's only one of us? Have you heard it say anything before? Shaking his head, he got out of bed and picked up his phone. No, the camera doesn't do audio. But we should have the footage of tonight I can pull up. It uploads to the cloud every few seconds. He sat back down as he pulled up the video feed and began scrubbing through it. He glanced at me. This was just a few minutes ago, right? Yeah, it should be within the last ten minutes. He stopped the video ten minutes back and let it play. On the screen, Brent began to jerk and twist, and I felt my nails digging into my palms as I forced myself to keep watching. I didn't want to see it again, but I needed to. I had to. I started trembling. Wait, this... This isn't the right night. Nothing's happening. Brent looked at me, bewildered. What are you talking about? I see him coming out of me. Just like I see them coming out of me every fourth night now. You don't see it? I shook my head, a tear rolling down my cheek. No, I, I know it happened. I remember it, but that's not what I see on the video. It doesn't look like anything but you moving around some. I snatched the phone from him. This has to be the wrong... I stopped as I saw myself stand up at the edge of the camera's frame, standing up several seconds after I had in my memory, and insisted of retiring to the corner. I was turning back and looking at the camera. Looking at the camera as I smiled, holding a single finger to my lips. I left Brent's apartment just a few minutes later. He begged me to stay to try and help him figure it out, but I, I couldn't. I was too terrified and I had no idea what was going on. I told him I'd call him and check on him in a few days and that he should go to his family about it. His family or a psychologist, maybe a priest. I didn't know. All I knew was I wasn't able to help him and I had to get away from there. That was five nights ago. Since then I've had trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, trouble doing much of anything other than feeling guilty and scared. A part of my mind keeps suggesting that I imagined things, or maybe he was into drugs and slipped me some, but I know that part of me is a liar. I know what I saw, even if I don't know what it means. Tonight I finally took a sleeping pill. My thought was, I could sort through things, cope with everything better, if I wasn't teetering on the edge of exhaustion all the time. I just needed 10 to 12 hours of sleep and things would be better. I had been out for about four when I suddenly jerked awake. I'd heard something, or felt something. I looked around in the dark in my bedroom, blood pounding in my ears as I looked into the shadow for any sign of danger or disturbance. I didn't see anything, but that meant very little. 
breath coming in quick gasps, I leaned over and turned onto the light of my nightstand. As I did so, I looked around again. No. My eyes had fallen on my closet. I always kept the door shut, but it was open now. The light from the lamp didn't penetrate far into it, but it was enough for me to see a pair of my jeans lying on the floor just outside the closet door. No, 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 no. I started easing up in my bed, trying to get in a position where I could try and make out if something came at me from the closet. It would be a near thing, as I had to go past the open door to make it out of the bedroom. That's when I heard something. A stealthy scraping sound, but not from the closet. It was coming from underneath my bed. I almost ran then, but that small voice came back to me, told me I was driving myself crazy, running from shadows, letting whatever delusions Brent had infected me somehow. I needed to be better than that, stronger and braver than that. Confront what I was afraid of and see that just like the video, nothing was actually there. Biting my lip, I grabbed my phone and turned the flashlight up. I gripped the bed tightly as I slowly leaned over, my body tense as more of the floor underneath my bed came into view. There was a pair of my shoes and an old book I was reading and further back I saw twin yellow sparks glittering softly in the dark. Turning my phone, I saw myself, or something that looked like me, staring unblinkingly into the light before shifting its gaze to my own. Naked and grinning, it began slowly inching toward me as I realized that I couldn't move, couldn't scream, couldn't hear anything as its scrabble crawled to within a few inches of my downturned face. Until it spoke. Its breath was spiced and strange, but aside from that and the occasional flicker of light from its eyes, it had been like looking into a strange upside-down mirror until I heard its voice. It sounded different than the thing at Brent's, more feminine though, still very hoarse, like a hanging victim, or someone speaking for the first time. There is only one of us. Leaning forward, it planted a searing kiss on my forehead before bringing a finger to its lips. I dreaded it touching me again, but it didn't. Instead, it slid soundlessly past as I watched under the bed as it headed to the closet to finish getting dressed. Once that was done... It padded silently out of the house and into the moonless night. I was sat in what looked like a dentist's chair in a dimly lit room. The doctor strapped me in and gave me a word of advice before starting. Now, Jack, it's important to keep your eyes closed once the session begins. Is it really necessary to strap me in like this? The doctor threw me a stern look. 
You signed the waiver, Jack. You know that these restraints are for your own safety. Anything could happen once the brain's unraveling is initiated. If you want payments, you have to adhere to all the test's requirements. I attempted to nod in agreement, but the leather strap around my head prevented me from doing so. Alright, Doc. Whenever you're ready. I have to admit that I was more than a little nervous. The ad seemed harmless enough when I filled out the form to apply. 2500 for a one-time quote-unquote past-life regression study, and another 2500 if any memories I collected were of merit. I was toted as being an incredible opportunity to quote, remember one's past lives. Now that I was here, I wasn't so sure. The doctor must have noticed how anxious I was. He placed a hand on my shoulder in consolation. Relax, Jack. I assure you this will be an amazing experience. If it works, you mean. Oh, Jack, it will. Over a thousand candidates have replied. Based on the survey answers you chose, you're one of the people uniquely equipped for this study. Strength in the mind is key. He said that as if it was a comfort. All I could think about were the hundreds of ways it could all go wrong. $5,000 wasn't bad for a day's work, but I wouldn't be able to spend it if I fell into a coma. At that point, I would barely make a dent in the subsequent medical bills. Okay, Jack. Sit tight. The doctor left and reappeared at the control center, just visible through a window in the corner of the room. His voice resonated from a speaker hanging down from the ceiling. Jack, it's just like we discussed. A pair of cables descended from above and rested at each of my nostrils. These cables will enter your nasal cavity and allow us to specific sections of your brain. From there, you'll experience a series of small electric shocks. As a reminder, there will be no long-term damage, but you will feel an overwhelming jolt in your head after each shock. With every word he uttered, my anxiety grew. I had no idea how my body would react to this. Wait, I shouted as the cables began their journey up my passages. Yes, something wrong? Doctor, what's our safe word? Safe word, he asked, apparently confused. You know, if something goes wrong and I need to stop. There was a brief pause before he spoke. I'm sorry, Jack. No safe words. You signed the paperwork. The test cannot be stopped now. I promise you'll come out on the other side in one piece. My heart was now pounding away in my chest loud enough to hear. Coupled with the insidious sound of medical machinery, it was an unsettling symphony that mirrored my feelings of dread and regret. The perfect background noise to keep the fear in me alive. Just then, a sharp pinch. The cables had reached the base of my cranium. I writhed against my leather binding. Ready? Here we go. Without so much as a second to brace myself, the first shock was administered. If you've ever been electrocuted, you might be able to picture what it feels like. The only difference is that the electricity is directed in one location, amplified in a single spot, creating an intense pain that lingers long after the current subsides. And again, 
Second shock was even worse. I screamed out in pain, but the doctor's focus never wavered. Again, the shocks built on each other, each one more painful than the last. Had I known it would feel like this, I would have never signed up, no matter how much money they offered. Again. The doctor wouldn't let up, even after I begged him to. He shocked me more times than I care to remember. I lost count somewhere after twelve. Eventually, he stopped, but it had nothing to do with my outbursts or any sort of ethical dilemma the experience posed. These readouts are outstanding. Your brain activity is spiking, Jack. This is it. We've awakened your subconscious. You're about to go under. Before I could react to his comments, I felt a wave of energy pass through my body. And then another. And another. It was a powerful sensation, but soothing at the same time. A welcome change from the beating my brain had just endured. Doctor, uh, I think... A final wave of energy, more powerful than the previous ones, interjected and pinned me in place, more so than the straps ever could. I could neither move nor speak, and it wasn't long before I felt my eyes glaze over and roll back into my skull. And then darkness. Jack, can you hear me? I could hear the doctor's voice, but I couldn't see him. There was nothing but pitch blackness all around. Listen, Jack, if you can hear me, I need you to open your eyes. I did as I instructed, and to my astonishment, my vision returned, revealing a long, narrow hallway, a slew of doors on either side of it. Doctor, what's going on? You'll have to speak up, Jack. Your lips are moving, but your voice is just a faint whisper. I said, what's going on? That's better. Well, Jack, we did it. You're now in a representation of your subconscious. I was more than a little skeptical. My subconscious? <laughs> really? Yes, Jack, really. Your body is still strapped down here in the room. With the help of the electroshock therapy, you were able to unlock this part of your mind. Now we should be able to access latent memories from your past lives. Tell me, what do you see? It's just a, a hallway of doors. Good, that's good. It appears different to everyone. For some, it's a large home, others an ocean of endless port and their lighthouses. Yours seems to be more accessible. If you open a door, you should be allowed a glimpse of a past memory. I looked down and noticed my body, legs and all. It may not have been my true body, but it certainly felt good to be immobile again. So just open a door? Anything I should be worried about? No, Jack. Nothing can hurt you here. When you open the door, your memory should play like a movie. No one will know you're there. It's just a projection. All right. Here goes nothing. I walked over to the nearest door and tried the knob. It wouldn't turn. It's locked, Doctor. I, I can't get in. These are your memories, Jack. Your doors. The only one locking them is you. Your will is the key to opening them. Try once more, but this time give in. Open your mind to the idea of it all. Let yourself remember. I took a deep breath and tried again, this time without any inhibitions. I emptied my mind and turned the knob. And this time it worked. I was able to push the door open. It worked, doctor. The door's open. That's great, Jack. What do you see? 
There were stairs descending down into a pit of darkness. Just the staircase. Should I go in? Yes, find out where it leads. I cautiously traveled downward, taking deep breaths with every step I took in an effort to reel back my anxieties. It was exciting to have access to my inner psyche, but I didn't know what I would find there. What if I didn't like what I saw or who I was in another life? What if I couldn't handle the truths I uncovered? Eventually, I took the final step down and found myself in someone's home. A lovely, quaint cabin circa the 19th or possibly early 20th century from the look of things. There was a beautiful cobblestone fireplace, elegant furniture, and an older gentleman sitting in an armchair with a pipe in hand and a book in the other. I wonder if that was me from a past life. Hey, doctor, I'm in a cabin, probably around the 1800s or so. There's a man reading by the fireplace. Is that me? The doctor didn't respond. Doctor? More silence followed by a reply, but not from him. He can't hear you. I turned to the direction of the voice and saw the old man now looking up at me. It couldn't have been him, right? The doctor said no one could see me. I said he can't hear you. Not from in here. It was the old man. My heart skipped a beat as he placed his book down and stood up to meet my surprised gaze. This is just a memory. How can you see me? It's simple, really. I'm you. Or at least a part of you. I didn't understand and he could tell. Evolution is a funny thing, you know? Attributes handed down from generation to generation in an attempt to make us better, safer. Survival of the fittest, as they say. What do you mean? I asked, still unsure of what he was getting at. Reincarnation is very real. I'm the part of your brain tasked with locking away your past regressions. Without me, your mind would be overloaded at birth with memories of each and every one of your past lives. All those memories flooding in at once. It'd be an assault on the senses, something your brain could never hope to handle. I'm a projection against that. What he was saying was... unbelievable. Moments ago, I was taking part in a paid medical study, and now I was somehow learning the secrets of the universe from within my own mind? It was a lot to digest. May I sit? I asked. Of course, Jack, be my guest. I sat down in the armchair and took a moment to collect my thoughts before responding. So, why can't the doctor hear me right now? I've hijacked his memory to speak with you. Being a part of your brain, I can also access other functions, so I've temporarily disabled your physical body's speech and hearing. But why? Why do you want to speak with me so badly, and in private, no less? He leaned in close and grabbed my shoulders, making deliberate eye contact. Jack, you're tampering in things you shouldn't be. I'm here to give you a warning. Stop what you're doing at once. He loosened his grip and took a step back. Stop remembering, you mean? Why? What'll happen? I asked. Nothing dangerous. 
and I have a lock on all the floodgates. The short trip down memory lane, unlocking one past life at a time, wouldn't by itself have any serious repercussions. That said, I won't allow it. <laughs> won't allow it? Why not? If the doctor's experiments succeed, others will follow suit. There's no telling how many will walk this path and experience their pasts in this manner. It will, after some time, disrupt the balance of evolution. After years of this negligence, humans could very well be born without me, leaving their memories completely intact. In effect, they will perish at the hands of coma or death soon after exiting the womb. He walked over and grabbed me again. If you continue this little journey of ours, I will retaliate. I'll take care of them all, all your memories, one by one, until you have nothing left. You'll be in a vegetative state for the rest of your life. I pushed him away, unhappy with the tone he was taking. What the hell are you talking about? You're me. We'll both die. He scoffed at my retort. I'm a facet of evolution, just like all of your inherited traits. My duty is to the species as a whole, first. Self-preservation, second. I'll do what I have to do, no matter the cost. Though I wasn't keen on being threatened, I had no intention of breaking the natural order of things. In all honesty, I didn't want to be in my own head to begin with. The sooner I could get out, the better. Fine, I'll stop. Good. The man sat back down at his chair and the memory resumed as normal, reverting to its previous state like a pause button had been lifted. I walked up the way I came and landed back in the hall, closing the door behind me. Jack, are you there? What's happening? The doctor's voice returned and we were able to converse once again. I told him what had happened. I could hear his disappointment in his voice as he let out a heavy sigh. I was scared it would come to this. What are you talking about, doctor? You knew about this? He sighed again before responding. It happened with all my previous tests. It's a failsafe our bodies have built against past life recollection. Previous tests? There were others before me? Yes, and they all ended the same. Each and every test subject was rendered chromatose after the sessions concluded. One guy died shortly after. Comatose? Somebody died? You said nothing in here could hurt me. I needed you focused. We can bicker about this until the cows come home, but for now, let's stay focused on the task at hand. Let's open another door, shall we? At this point, my blood was boiling. Another door? Another door? Are you serious? Let me out of here. I don't have any intentions of being another one of your failures. You signed the paperwork, Jack. I won't wake you until we finish this. I need more information. My career's on the line. Just two more doors and I'll pull you out. What do you say? I don't give a damn about your career. I refuse to continue. I'll wake up on my own eventually. The doctor gave a slight laugh. <laughs> no, you won't, Jack. You're deep in the bowels of your mind. The only thing that will wake you is another electric shot calibrated to precise specifications. If you don't continue, 
I won't wake you, and you'll be comatose anyway. I can talk, right? Just like I'm talking to you right now. I'll tell someone that, and they can... The doctor interjected. I can shut that off with the flick of a switch. You'll be unable to communicate with anyone. I was now seething with anger. You're a sick man, Doc. A very sick man. I'm sorry, Jack. I have to do this. It's for the betterment of mankind. This research could change the world. I'm at the precipice of something big. Something life-altering. I threw him some choice words to no reaction. Just do as you're told, Jack. And don't even think of lying. I can see your brain waves and will be able to detect any deceit. I sat there in the hallway of my memories for a great long while, contemplating my options. It wasn't long before I realized I only had one at my disposal. My best bet was to continue. It was just two doors. Maybe I could get in and out unnoticed and finally end this nightmare once and for all. Fine, doctor. I'll do it. Good. Open another door, but walk down the hallway a bit first. I want something deeper. I reluctantly did as instructed and opened a door further down the hall. There was another set of stairs, but these ones went up. It's another staircase, Doc. I'm going in. I walked up the stairs with determination, hoping to see what I could and then leave as quickly as possible. All right, Jack, what's in there? I was in the living room of another house. It's someone's house. Mine, presumably. Keep looking around. Try to place where you are exactly. I walked around the room and took notice of a framed photo hanging on the wall. It was of a woman, a young girl, and a man. He looked just like me. Doctor, there's a photo here of the family, and I'm in it. The man is identical to me. That's rare, but it can happen. Keep looking around. As I walked through the home, I was taken aback by how modern everything looked. It wasn't until I noticed a newspaper in the dining room that something clicked and I became alarmed. The paper had today's date on it. Doctor, something's not right here. This isn't the past. There's a newspaper here with today's date. Really? Are you absolutely certain? Yes, I am. This... This isn't the past. <sighs> Incredible. My theories were right after all. Theories? You mind including me here? You're right, Jack. This isn't a past life memory. It's on ongoing memory. Playing out in real time from a current life. <sighs> current life? I'm not following long been my belief that there are other parallel worlds out there, an infinite number of different universes, some similar to our own. In each one, we have a counterpart, a copy of ourselves living a different life. This isn't a past life memory, Jack. It is a current memory from another Jack in another timeline. Fascinating, isn't it? Just then, the front door opened and the family from the picture returned home, walking right into their dining room where I was standing. The other me, the woman, and what must have been their daughter. It was a surreal sight to behold. They're here, doctor. The other me and his family. That's great. 
Observe and see what you learn. I glanced over at the stairs in the living room. I should have left right there to avoid potential consequences, but something held me back. At the time, I thought it was plain old curiosity keeping me in place, and yes, I admit I was curious to know about what my copy's life was, but that isn't what made me stay. As the memory unfolded, I felt it, a warm energy emanating from within. It was a connection. I didn't know anything about this other Jack's life, but I could feel what he felt. The love he had for his family It was an emotional bond I couldn't bring myself to run from. The memory played out and I watched it all. I'd come to learn that my wife's name was Charlotte and her daughter was Leslie. The day was spent together playing games, eating dinner, watching movies, a catalog of unfamiliar titles that likely don't exist in my own universe. I reported everything to the doctor as it occurred, no longer angry at him. I should have been, but this immense warmth overtook me. It felt like this was my family, and I was the one spending time with them. It was a truly perfect day if there ever was one. But as so often rings true in life, good things never last. Without realizing it, I'd spent the whole day in that memory. Before long, everyone was in bed and I was left downstairs, alone in the darkness as a sliver of moonlight shone through the windows. Though I didn't want to, it was time to leave. I walked off the stairs, but not before turning back and taking one last look at the house. It was clear to me, in this moment, that I would miss them, however strange that may sound. As I took in the sight, something was noticeably amiss. Standing in the corner of the living room was a man, or at least the silhouette of one. He was shrouded in darkness, save for the faint red glow of his eyes, leaving his other features a mystery. Upon making eye contact, he spoke. It was in an all-too-familiar cadence. You're not supposed to be here. No longer taking the form of a harmless old man, I was now frightened of this part of my brain. Still, I mustered up enough courage to say something in response. This memory, this place, it isn't a past life, it's a whole other world. You didn't say anything about that. I told you to stop, Jack. Now I have to take from you what you were never meant to see. In an instant, I was transported outside of the house, looking up at it from the road. It was now a blaze, burning a hole into the night sky. I watched in horror as both my wife and daughter cried out for help against the glass of their bedroom windows. The red-eyed shadow appeared in front of me, blocking the terrible view behind him. I cried out for help myself. Dr. Covenwood, he's back, he's back! How many times do I have to tell you? He can't hear you. How... How is this possible? All versions of you are connected. There's only one brain that you all draw from, sectioned off by yours truly. I tapped into this one and had him start a fire. Why? How could you? I didn't tell you everything, but I didn't lie either. You're not meant to have this kind of access. It'll destroy everything. Not only evolution, but the balance between worlds. He bolted toward me in the blink of an eye and began squeezing my neck, making it all but impossible to breathe. 
This is the last time I will ever tell you this. Stop what you're doing or I'll burn it all down. All at once the memory faded and I could breathe again. I was back in the hall at the open door. Jack, are you okay? What's going on now? Again, I told the doctor everything. He seemed more intrigued than concerned. Okay, Jack, one more door, then you're free. He'll kill me, doctor. Pull me out now. Jack, I can't. I have no new information. I've reached this point many times before. What? Are you kidding me? The good news is you're still here. All other subjects have become comatose after viewing their other timelines. So you knew what I was in for. That surprise over your theories finally being proven was all for show? What else are you keeping from me? The curse words began flying from my mouth and again were met with a little reaction. The less you know, the better. I can't have you flying off the rails when we're so close. There can't be any hesitation. So please, Jack, focus. This hallway of yours isn't endless. There's always a final point, a finish line, if you will. With each memory you've experienced, your mind has gained immunity. It's what you all need to open the final door. I sighed, knowing I'd have to humor him if I wanted a way out. Final door, you say. Yes. In your case, there should be one at the end of the hall, unlike the rest. Had we jumped the gun and opened it from the start, you'd be good as dead. It's happened more than a few times to previous subjects, but now the hope is that you should be able to cross the finish line, so to speak, without sacrificing the infrastructure of your mind. No, doctor, pull me out. I- I'm done. It's over. Please. My comments didn't even phase him. What's more, we need to be smart about this. The part of your brain that's wreaking havoc in there will be waiting. You'll need to throw him off the trail. Open as many doors as possible. Enter, run through, exit through another door. If my theories are correct, you'll come out back in the hallway. Rinse and repeat. No! I'll leave you in there, Jack. I'm serious. I'm telling you the truth now so you'll be compliant. This is everything I know. The furthest point I ever reached. Do this for me, and I promise to wake you up. You have my word. As livid as I was, I had no choice in the matter. I would have to do as he wished if I wanted even a chance of coming out of this and being able to live a normal life. Fine. Last door and that's it. No more games. You have my word, Jack. After a moment of mental preparation, I began opening as many doors as I could to get the hound confused and off my scent. I didn't have time to bask in each memory like before, but I still saw some strange sights. In one world, I was in a hotel holding onto a strange list of rules. In another, I was hunting down a supernatural entity in a thick forest. In another, still, I was digging through NASA's archives to learn about their secret projects. There were countless more, far too many to list. My memory demon was never too far behind. I ran, scared for my life as he scorched everything in his wake. Luckily in time, I lost him. After my last memory, the doctor spoke up. That should be enough, Jack. Quickly, run to the end of the hall. 
I did so, but to no results. It was an endless loop. I wound up right back at the door I started from. I know because it was still open, the same memory playing within. Doctor, it's not working. I'm running circles in here. It's like before, Jack. Your will is the key. Open your mind to the final door and it will appear. Okay, open your mind, Jack. This is it. You can do this. Do this and you're a free man. I ran again, but with more meaning. And this time, to my relief, the hall came to an end. And there, at its end point, was the door, just like the doctor described. Completely unlike the others before. It blood, red, and with a handle instead of a knob. I'm here, doctor. I found it. Don't waste any more time. Open it. A thunderous voice spiraled down the hall and stopped me in my tracks. No! I turned around to see the red-eyed shadow of blaze of fire close behind, burning through all the doors and my memories with them. You're going to ruin everything! He was ending it. This was the point of no return. If I was going to die or be in a coma, I figured I might as well solve the mystery before I go. Stop! I'm begging you! Before my nemesis could close the gap between us, I pulled the handle, stepped inside, and shut the door behind me. When I was sure it was firmly closed, my eyes darted around and examined my whereabouts. To my surprise, it appeared to be an ordinary room. It was reminiscent of an office, complete with a desk, some chairs, and a computer. Sitting at the desk was a person. Not just any person, either. It looked like me. Hello, Jack. He stood up and walked over to me. I took a step back. Who... Who are you? You met my brother, didn't you? The one out there throwing a temper tantrum? He gestured to the door behind me. Well, we're two sides of the same coin. A divergence in human coding. A choice that is made every time a person is born. Two elements of evolution fighting for control. Everyone has one of him and one of me. He pulled one of the chairs over to me. Please, sit. I slowly sat down, still unsure of what I was dealing with here. You see, Jack, so far, my brother has won every battle. His coding is written to the DNA of every human when they're born, leaving the brain's true function just out of reach. If humans were to evolve with me instead, your past memories would be intact among their abilities. But safety trumps innovation. Overloading the mind can be dangerous, With that, I agree. However, I've been transforming as of late. I imagine it's the same for the pieces of me and the other people as well. Transforming how? I asked. Evolution isn't all black and white. It involves vigorous trial and error. Stuck in here, I've had nothing but time to practice my integration. Now I believe if I'm passed on in the genetic pool, humans will grow into me, so to speak. Your old memories will return over time, piece by piece, and your full brain function will develop gradually. Everyone wins. What do you mean by abilities and full function, exactly? I asked, now curious. Well, Jack, take a look. This is your brain's control room, where all the magic happens. I looked around again. It was hard to believe my brain was governed in such a small place. An office with a computer? Really? Really? 
All brains perceive it differently, Jack. This is just how you see it. Okay, and what does this have to do with evolution? My brother blocks memories as well as higher brain function. Remember what he told you? One brain controlling every version of you out there? How'd you know that? I asked. I've been eavesdropping. Nothing else to do in here. Fair enough. Okay, go on. Well, he wasn't lying. If this dam bursts and you gain access to all your memories, you can also gain access to a sneaky ability called transference. You can jump from jack to jack, timeline to timeline, and it doesn't stop there. You can also jump to any point in any given timeline. Want to relive your first kiss or start things over and change your decisions, map out your life differently? With me, you can. It's the closest humans will ever get to immortality. It was a good pitch, but it had to have a downside. What's the catch? He looked at me for a moment, almost as if deciding whether he should divulge more or not. Then he continued. There are always kinks when evolving. Trial and error, as I said before. There's only so much I can do from here. If you unlock me in your own mind, I can potentially be passed down as a trait in future generations. Between you and the doctor continuing his research with others, I'll have a fighting chance. In the real world, I can hone my craft in a sense. It was beginning to make sense, but I had my concerns. And while you hone your craft, people will be hurt along the way. He frowned and... It honestly looked genuine. There will be casualties, yes, but it's for the greater good. The human race will flourish with me by their side, I assure you. He gently raised me from my chair, walked over behind my desk, and sat me down in front of the computer. There was a black screen with a single window open. It said password. I could never crack this thing. In truth, only you can. It's your mind, after all. Just like the doors in the hall, you have to use that will of yours. Open your mind. Enter the password and we'll be free. As soon as he said this, the door burst open and the red-eyed shadow charged in. No, don't do it, Jack. It won't end well. The human race isn't built for this. His considerably friendlier half chimed in. Don't listen to him, Jack. This will be the start of a whole new era, and it'll be thanks to you. A world where... Unthinkable is possible. The shadow marched over and grabbed his brother, tossing him against the wall as the fire entered the room. All the while, I sat there looking at the screen, a huge weight on my shoulders as the decision loomed overhead. The nicer brother yelled over to me as the shadow held him against the burning wall by his neck. Jack, you can stop him. When you unlock the rest of your brain, you can shut him off. It was clear he didn't have much time left. Red Eyes was not going to let up. Any point in any timeline, you can shut him off. The words rang in my ears as a brief moment of interception came and went. The possibilities became clear, allowing me a greater focus. I knew what I had to do. The fire now filled the room. In the password field, I typed the first thing that came to mind and struck the enter key. The scene around me faded to black and my body slipped away into an endless abyss. My body was falling. Oh no. Am I too late? 
I sprung to life in the doctor's room and he came running, quick to remove the cables and undo the leather straps. Jack, where were you? I lost you in there. What'd you see? What was in the final room? As soon as he unbuckled the strap, I swung my fist around and made contact with the side of his face, his glasses flying across the room. Jack, what the hell? You're not getting paid after this. You can forget that. Keep the money, doctor. I don't need it anymore. I walked out of that godforsaken room, and I never looked back. And that's the end of this Jack's story. The password worked like a charm, just six digits. I can't tell you how I knew it, but it was Leslie's birthday. Now I remember everything from all my lives, past and present. In a few moments after I finish typing this up, I'm going to flip a switch in my head and join my wife and daughter in their timeline before they were killed. I'll shut that shadowy demon off for good and make sure he can't hurt them ever again. And that's where I plan to stay for the rest of my years. No jumping from world to world or using my newfound power for any other purpose. The universe where my family lives is the only world that I need. Goodbye.